0: Would you bet a few thousand dollars that you could sink an eight-foot putt?
1: What about 10 grand that you could win a drag race against a Camaro with 1,000 horsepower? If you bet $2 million, could you bet it all on one football game? Maybe you wish you could, but you probably wouldn't. Gamblers is about the people who did. From the Ringer Podcast Network, listen to Gamblers Season 2 on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile for more details.
1: Another day is here, and you're
0: ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: Now.
0: Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. And joining me on the other line, buying can right selling FastAid, it's Andy Greenwald!
1: Chris, it is great to see you. I'm sorry it's been a minute. It's been real tough to coordinate the time zones because I live in Denmark. You're back in Los Angeles. I still haven't bought a power adapter. So I can't plug in anything. Oh right! So I think I'm at about eight percent on all my all my devices. So let's hit it and hit it hard.
0: But isn't it like you you should go solar because isn't the sun up for like eleven hours each day or twelve hours every day? I guess the sun's up for <laughs> twelve hours every day here too, right?
1: Yeah, this, it's 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 a thing about <laughs> Earth. You're doing great,
0: <laughs> Andy. You're back in Los Angeles. I'm back in Los Angeles. We're in the same time zone. And we're in the same headspace, man. Mm-hmm. We're here to talk about content. We we could talk about whatever you want. We could talk about like our our various travels across the the planet. When Sean was doing his Telluride breakdown, and he was like going through all the movies he saw, it just felt like right. he was so. He lives such a purpose-driven life, you know. He does. And you and I have such like aimless wandering, you know. And when we go on these trips, I don't think we come back with such like news from the front about. What's going on in pop culture? Like, I didn't find out anything about "Don't Worry, Darling" in England. You know, like (laughs) they they weren't talking
1: about it. There, I wasn't
0: able to get to the bottom of it. So I was just wondering, did you, you know, do you have anything you want to report from your your Scandinavian sojourn?
1: Well, first of all, great place. We should all live there. Second, the brand is strong, Chris. I (laughs) I just want you to know that our brand, our brand is strong. I I I want to tell you an anecdote that there's no way. This is a brag. It's a brag. But I dined at Noma. Some say the best restaurant in the world. Some say the second best. I dined there because...
0: If it's not the best, is there another, like, this one's the best?
1: I I think Mini Kebab and Glendale unseated it. (laughs) Thanks to my my vote at the last second. Um, But (laughs) not kidding. Um, The reason I dined there is not because... I'm like an American Express Centurion member or like an international bon vivant like you. It's because Ben Liebman, who works with the chef Rene Redzepi, is a fan of our podcast. So I, I was able to, to go, I had a reservation. I mean, I, I paid. This, is, this isn't one of those things. This isn't like, you know, th- this is no payola here. But what I wanted to mention was while the courses were, were coming, beautiful, thought-provoking, interesting food, uh, kombucha mother steak. What do you think about that?
0: I don't even Marigold know. Marigold flower
1: tempura. I'm just going to say words in an order until you respond. But in between courses, I don't know, six and seven, I felt a tap on my shoulder and my neighbor leaned over and said, I'm sorry to interrupt your meal here at the finest or second finest restaurant in the yeah, world.
0: N- non kebab daddy.
1: Uh, <laughs> non kebab based cuisine. Yeah. But I'm a huge fan of the pod and I'm from Philly. Oh, that's great. At Noma. At Noma. And I feel, I'm so sorry to the gentleman who was there with his wife. He was very nice. They were both great. They said they've been listening to our pod on the way to Noma, almost as an aperitif. And I wish I could repeat his name. It was really cool. That was a great... The whole night was a great experience, but that was really... That was wonderful.
0: I wanted to ask, like, when you're out, and I assume that this was an a- aspect of the meal, like, and you're, you're out foraging, right? Like, you're out there, you're in the dirt, you're looking for the microgreens... That's-
1: that's what I do when I travel through Europe. I, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I put on my wellies and I just wander out into nature and I see what I come back with, culturally speaking.
0: Did, was, was there any chatter on the trails right, about the streaming wars? Was, any, was anybody just like, what do you make of L-O-T-R-R-O-P, first two eps? You know, do you think that the brighter and more idealistic, optimistic version of this fantasy right. world, how does it contrast with H-O-T-D?
1: No, the fan. It's because I was in Denmark, and the 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 apotheosis, like the highest fantasy imaginable, is Borgen, in which an environmentally <laughs> conscious liberal woman becomes prime minister. You know what I mean? Like that is she's their Galadriel. That that that's the difference there. And by the what? way, I did not do any Borgen content because I didn't make it to the building. Like I want, I had a whole thing. I was gonna, I was gonna, you know, oh, kind of bo- pivot like on into your, it
0: on your Instagram.
1: Yeah, I was yeah. gonna get go to the building. And do some uh, and just say talk you know, to a bunch of people. Well, I did say talk to a lot of people, and they say you're welcome. They're very; they do not want to hear talk from the likes of me.
0: So you uh, were not able to join me last week. I, I had no. Mal on uh, to talk about Lord of the Rings and House of the Dragon, and that must so have I, been
1: like pulling teeth for her. I can't believe you got her to do that. <laughs>
0: she was just rolling from our from our talk to Thrones episode. So I was like, let's yeah. keep keep the the energy. I was curious whether or not you wanted to share any thoughts on uh, last week's House of the Dragon. I suppose that we could also hit that uh, when we do next week's episode, next Monday's episode off of episode four. But I was curious my, whether or not you had any larger thoughts on... now. That, my, biggest,
1: my biggest thing is that Otto Hightower is truly the Picasso of the trade machine when it comes to regal dynasties. You know what I mean? Like I know Bill gets a lot of credit for it, but when he's just looking at the big board and he's just like, this... 15-year-old could marry her infant brother, and that would solve all of your problems? Maybe you just throw in a couple unprotected firsts? Yeah, he's like, like
0: Kevin Garnett after the Celtics won. Anything is possible!
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but just, but Kevin Garnett mixed with Daryl Morey. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, seeing the whole thing. No, I think maybe we should pivot to next week. I, I, I you know, I, I enjoyed the episode. Again, I do feel like uh, maybe this is just... Being, you know, I don't, I don't keep kosher, but I, 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 get it. Like maybe so that's why I'm a little just not into the whole crab thing. Maybe like the that's whole, why this whole plan why seems you like a little the
0: Show the patient too. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we'll come to that. But uh, yeah, like I, I still don't quite get the three episode buildup of a guy who drops sea monkeys on people's faces and then hides in caves and then just gets gets sliced in half. I didn't quite get all that, but I do think it's going to be interesting going forward to talk about. The House of the Dragon, next to uh, Rings, Rings of power. power, yeah. Which I've had, you know, we could talk about it next week. But like, I, 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 I had such a dramatic whiplash reaction where I was so, so, so negative on the pilot, uh, and I can't tell if it was because of the content of the show or because of what it says oh, about The pilot of Rings of Power, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus being honestly kind of charmed by the second one, which really shocked me. So, yeah, I, I, I'm actually glad the shows are paired because they they make for an interesting play. So, no, I what did i what where did you need me? Which wall did you need me on when you were talking to Mallory?
0: no, you know what because i I was really um i was my I threw myself off because I came into this and I was just i think I was pretty skeptical about rings of power and and I think I have some pretty controversial opinions about the cinematic value of hobbits that's been discussed pretty thoroughly uh in various like social media platforms, but like I was kind of surprised by. Just how how like how well done I thought the Rings of Power was, and how like kind of swept up in it I got, especially the Gladriel stuff. And you know, I think that there's like a degree of high fantasy to it that's like a little bit lost on me. You know, yes, um, I'm and there that with it, you. it's very much written in the sort of in that style where it's like everything is about <sighs> lightness and dark. It's, elf it's politics. Like, me, it's, like it's, it's
1: like me looking at a menu in a restaurant. You know, it's like age-long battle between light and dark. <laughs> Only this candle can get me to the main course. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: dude, I was in. I I I feel like I'm really having a crisis of like how often I feel compelled to use my flashlight on my phone to see oh, the yeah. menu. And then, like, just not wanting to be that guy who, like, just ruins the vibe with this piercing bat signal going through <laughs> <You're-> <laughs> the crowd. of the But, like, ultimately, like, I'm getting, like, the tips of my fingers are burning off because I'm holding candles up yes. to these goddamn menus are so you- they could say, like, whole damn fish, are- you know? Like- <laughs> are-, are you
1: the Commissioner Jim Gordon of the Small Plates restaurant? Is that what you are? But You're you like, this is mean? a symbol of hope.
0: It's like, Chris, at least you can kind of just guess what's going to be on any California menu. And you'll be like, I'll have the branzino."
1: <laughs> As you know, very well, better than almost anyone else. Like the number one topic for our, I guess we should charge for some of this Patreon that we're not doing would uh-huh. just be my concern over my failing eyesight. And I love to talk about it. Probably need glasses. Still haven't made an appointment with your guy, Dr. Bandicar. It's a long story. We're four months into this delicate tango. One day I'm going to get in there. And I mentioned this to people other than you, people in my family, and they're like, should you be Are they as into it driving? as I am?
0: Yeah. They, no, they're it's much a good more into it. Yeah.
1: My younger daughter is like, you would look bad wearing glasses, so don't get them. <laughs> like, you just started kindergarten, relax. Two, uh, they're like, should you be driving? I'm like, yes, I, I can see everything in the world. The one thing I cannot see is the wine list at any restaurant <laughs> in the world after 7 p.m. Like, <laughs> I I cannot, it is just, it looks like the symbols carved on Sauron's shit to me at a certain point in the evening. Okay, but back to Rings of Power. The reason I kept saying I thought it was an interesting comparison is because, and maybe why I reacted strongly to the first one was, I deeply do not care about this high fantasy realm. I've not read these books. I feel Uh like I'm aging out of the elf demographic. I have serious questions. You're
0: entering elf prime.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's right. That's right. As as an elf.
0: In the first episode, Gladriel is like, and then a hundred years later, and she looks great. She's, she hasn't aged a day. Here's my thing. She is reading menus from the top of
1: the mountain and being like, (laughs) try the (laughs) Sansair." Yes. It's dry. (laughs) I came from a time before restaurants. If you had lived that long and continued to live that long, Uh could you not develop a hobby? Could you not take a moment away from your endless struggle battling the forces of darkness to create music or crime fiction or something? Because my thing is you're 20,000 years old and you get on a boat. I get that you're not going to act like the lonely island in T-Pain, but you're also not going to just stand there while you sail into infinity. You don't have anything better to do. They're so boring. All that life for what? That's my issue. But and also they just all the do backstory. so
0: much realm guarding. You know what I mean? Like the realm is always on its toes and they have but, to, you know, like they always have to like make sure Chris, the realm is good.
1: Chris, no one asked them to. You know what I mean? We all have people like that in their lives, in our lives, right? It's like, we're, we're good. We're just some people tilling the soil. We'll be dead before you think about what to say next. <laughs> it's fine. We don't need you. But so I, in the whole first episode that basically was a, uh, I was looking for the skip recap button for 65 minutes uh-huh. of the first episode of a series. But then you get to the second episode and all of a sudden you have some things that are woefully missing from House of the Dragon. Ooh. Like? Speak on it. Friendship. Or people, whether they are elves and dwarves, acting like they've met before and care about each other. Sure. You know what I mean? Scenes of people talking about things that aren't about the patriarchal rights of succession, (laughs) but rather about you didn't come to my wedding. And at that wedding, my family wasn't massacred. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm a dwarf guy is what I'm saying which I did not realize so I really appreciated that like I just thought there was more humanity in the Elrond what's his what's his name Prince which Prince guy? Durin oh Durin. Durin yeah
0: right I, I, th- I didn't scene. even know who you were referring to for a second then yeah. in
1: three episodes of HOD so far or even you know I know earmuffs to you but like the the Harfoots and the Fireflies and the 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 big guy that looks like Bill Heck cool. from the old man yeah yeah yelling like that had some magic and wonder to it. And it did make me feel, you know, interested and hopeful and engaged in a way that that the Game of Thrones universe, which continues to just, and I think this is the project, it is an exercise in nihilism ultimately, right? Like human beings, whether they have bleach blonde hair and dragons or not, are relentlessly inevitably terrible. Like that is George R. R. Martin's lesson to us, I feel like, which sometimes is artfully done and sometimes is less artfully done and sometimes is interesting and compelling. But it felt nice to be in a universe where that wasn't necessarily yeah. a given. Where fireflies
0: so, I, can dance around, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I, 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 but I just couldn't believe that I liked it, honestly, considering how much I disliked the first one.
0: Why don't we talk about some shows that do have some humanity? You want to
1: do that? We've done a lot of media consumption since we last podcasted. We so. have,
0: and we've done some, some in tandem, right, where we've watched shows that, like, you know, the other likes, you know, we both are like, oh, yes. we're up on that, so we're up on we, The Patient on Hulu, yeah. uh, FX on Hulu, we're up on... The magisterial second season of Reservation Dogs, which we can talk about. We're also um, we
1: also both watched The Firm on airplanes recently. I think
0: I, I mean I've just all, assume that I'm always watching The Firm. Uh, I watched Interstellar, thought it was uh, it really held up. Thought it thought it really like played well on a plane.
1: Hmm. I, I watched The Batman on a plane. Didn't you? I don't think you'd like that, right? I was just letting you know I'd watched it. I just <laughs> wanted you to know.
0: Um, but where do you want to start? Do you want to start with industry? Do you want to start with the patient? Do you want to start with reservation dogs? What what what, do you, what is like the most pressing thing for you? What's the show that feels the most urgent?
1: Probably we should do industry because that's our regular and we yep. love it. And then we could touch on some of the other things that we've watched. Because I also wanted to mention, give a a small plea to the underseen Paper Girls okay. on uh, on Amazon. So yeah, let's let's talk about industry. Let, why don't you set us up?
0: Yeah, I would just say that. This show has, uh, you know, as a lot of people have commented on on social media that there is like a feeling of this show like kind of taking another step as the second half of the season goes on. And, and I would I certainly agree with that. I'm a little bit self-conscious because I feel like every time I talk about industry, I'm like, is it better than Sopranos? Did Martin Scorsese or Michael Mann direct <laughs> this episode? <laughs> so I'm trying to be chill. Um, there were so many things I loved about this, the sort of the meme stocks episode you know it was a lot of reddit investing there was i thought like a wonderful it was a wonderful gus episode in a season where i think it was taking a little bit of time for like the gus plot to circle back around to maybe the main story uh, which is obviously like this rykan fast aid telehealth somewhat you know behind the scenes collusion of like whether it's going to be this brick and mortar business that Amazon might buy whether it's going to be simply telehealth and brick and mortar is going to go by the wayside and who's going to benefit from that is it going to be your peer point? is it going to be uh these various other like firms and companies involved is it going to be Jesse where will Harper work after all of this and you know my major takeaway from this was that Conrad and Mickey do such like a, an artful job at um Painting these portraits of people so that you understand what they are going through, even if you do not understand what they are doing. And so I was like, I think I have like three different text message threads with three different people who know more about money than me, kind of trying to parse out what Harper was trying to do with Jesse's short position. And I think I understand it now. And also like whether she knew DVD was listening in on the phone call or whether she kind of was doing it to bait DVD and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, I just think that Harper and Yaz are two people who, and I think I've used this trope before, but are like, they really don't start feeling anything at the blackjack table until they're down 500 bucks, you know, (laughs) like for, for Harper, like it is an action is the juice kind of situation where she needs to kind of be on that roller coaster. And she sees that clearly enough about herself that she tries to identify that as the reason why Jesse Is interested in him her which i thought was like a very fascinating character twist and then for yaz as soon as she finds out that this relationship which seems so illicit and so exotic is actually kind of vanilla because it's sanctioned by by celeste's wife she's like oh like this this isn't maybe isn't as hot but maybe isn't as like part of my self-conception as a character it doesn't go along with that right now and
1: also it's positional not in a sexual sense but almost like in a in a, a rishi sense in that sure. like yeah. you know they they you, they took an aggressive position and 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 it's going to work out under the terms that that the deal was negotiated under and and it it takes it's bled dry of, of romance or emotion or, or or that illicit thrill like yeah i agree with that reading
0: the thing i was going to ask you though is that this episode ends with harper going into eric's office and essentially being like let's let's be a package deal and let's go to market with just the two of us and I mean, presumably maybe Jesse uh, as, as our client. But it's always kind of a thrill to watch shows drive off the cliff a little bit. So the yeah. idea of these people leaving Pierpoint, and I don't think it was an accident that there was a Mad Men-ism at the end of this episode, because Mad Men famously was very good at sort of being like, everything you thought you knew about this show is gone. You know, and now we're going to do this. Is that what industry is doing right now?
1: I think it might be. And I think it knows what it's doing. And I say this not just because uh, we know Conrad and Mickey, but also because we know Conrad and Mickey are huge Mad Men fans. Conrad has been known to post the odd Mad Men meme or six, often with some completely inscrutable Liverpool football reference <laughs> That's draped neat. over it. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. To, uh, inscrutable to some of us. And by the way, I understand the caveat you made about praising the show. I feel like our listeners should understand where I'm coming from, the position I'm taking. Which is that the other week in London, you private potted
0: yeah with Mickey cool. and Conrad,
1: three people together in London, all three declined an invitation to dine at Noma. <laughs> the same night, that's what you guys were doing. So I get it. No, that's cool. It's cool. But I think it also adds my praise. It you know it gives my praise a, a certain a certain valence that maybe it hadn't wouldn't have had before. Sure. The Mad Men thing at the end, yes. Uh, one of the most beloved and famous episodes of Mad Men was called uh, "Shut the Door, Take a Seat," and it was the episode where the firm splits. Basically, they they make it a, they make a hotel room arrangement to start something new. And Eric, I think they paraphrase. I think he changed one word, but otherwise says that title of the episode verbatim. Mm-hmm. And I was thrilled by that. I was thrilled by it not just because we love Mad Men and we love this show's ability to. Pay tribute to and play fast and loose homage with things that we adore, but I was thinking on it more deeply, and I really feel like industry is a new generation show, and I don't mean that in the sense that it has a cast of young people that are you know were unknowns when it started and are all bound for glory, um, or even for Mickey and Conrad, who hopefully will be creating things that we'll enjoy for years to come, but it is absolutely a generational demarcation in terms of TV involvement and fandom. Because I think a lot of the shows that we still praise and love, I mean, most explicitly, like Better Call Saul, are DNA connected to shows that came before. You know, all, the things that we praise as new and groundbreaking often had their roots in things that, that um, we ascribe to an older generation. I mean, take it back 20 years and Matt Weiner himself, right, writing his Mad Men script while staffing on The Sopranos he was part of that generation and so his show wasn't so much you know it was it was evolved from or descended from mickey and conrad not just living 3000 miles away from la but didn't work in tv before and i feel like this show is absolutely a product of what they watched in this previous generation but pointing forward in a way you know i think they're using the influence in a pretty pretty exciting and groundbreaking way like this isn't mad boys and girls sure right but it is absolutely, it exists because of the precedent that Mad Men set. But it does feel unique and distinguished from, uh, distinguishable from that in a way that I find really thrilling. To your other point, Chris, I don't, can you share your contacts that know about money? I feel like <laughs> I should spend less time thinking about elves and more time about understanding <laughs> what shorting means. Because I think I, yeah, I, yeah, I get it. I get it. In the same way that I quote, get international football every four years.
0: The question is, does it matter within the context of the show whether you and, completely understand it? And like, and I, 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 yeah. And I think at least on first pass, like I, I've been to Prague, been to Prague, understand shorting. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I kind of can't believe it's legal, <laughs> but let's just leave that aside. Um, it seems like that would encourage some bad behavior in certain sectors, but I, I definitely no. like understood it. It seemed like Harper was trying to pull off like a triple axel and, and like landed two and a half. You know what I mean? In terms of vigor skating speak. Like it seemed like she was trying to pull a very elaborate move. Yeah. And fuck Rishi over. Like she definitely was doing that. with. And that's what that hand gesture, which is going to be like this iconic moment for that character is her like, I had never seen that before, but the thing where they are, are doing like the hold and then there is like the down or up. And I guess she throws like, a symbol at rishi that's like now it's actually a sell rather than a buy right
1: i don't don't write me so what well, my, well, point. Well, my it, like
0: my point is is that it doesn't matter my point is that like the drama is so obvious that the details are kind of like an icing
1: you can use whatever analogy you want whether it's watching a telenovela if you don't speak spanish or going to see a shakespeare play if you haven't read the play previously right. but there is kind of a this is a genuine human thing i think that there is a freedom when your mind can detach from the language. And when they get into their uh, bubbles and they're just talking about stuff I don't understand, there's a purity in this for me. I, I truly don't get it, but I also understand it deeply Mm -hmm. because what happens at that moment is the words become irrelevant and I'm reading performance, which has been just exceptional across the board this season. I'm listening to the music of what they're saying, as opposed to the specifics, which is a credit to the writing and how hard those guys work on it and how well edited it is around the scripts that they wrote. And more than anything else, I think I'm receiving like a radio tower, like the emotion of the Mm -hmm. scene. Like I understand the stakes for the character. And so broadly speaking, I understood that not only was everything that Harper did in this episode a response to what happened in Berlin and her own, you know, once again, the, and I use this intentionally, snow globe of her emotional life shaken up again, but she was also told that her peer point, as she knows it, is done. That she has been chosen, right, to go back to New York once right. this desk is folded. Right. But that this version of it doesn't exist anymore, and that's not okay with her. So she has chosen to attach herself to the great whale, right, and not uh, not the boat anymore. Yeah. So, so she's trying to in that moment. She doesn't. She knows Pierpoint's done. So she's scuttling her career there and her relationship with the people that she sits at the desk. So with you saw that, that as an alpha to, act
0: of self destruction rather than like
1: her no, it's, it, it, both. Uh, she she's destroying her career at Pierpoint, which to her is done already. And she is proving herself to Jesse, that she is her allegiance is to him. I mean, she already had taken a step in that direction with the Goldman Sachs thing the week before. Yeah. Right, telling him to take his business for this little side hustle elsewhere. Um, She's trying to prove that she is invaluable to one person, not one institution. And it seems like it all kind of backfires because she does it, sets fire to her existence at that desk and DVD and everything else. But then it also backfires because... The GameStop dorks. I mean, all the. By the way, all the ADR, the Rishi lines in the background about the people doing this, just are great. gold. Just yeah. print them, put them on a wall somewhere. Um, it all. It none of it works. So, but because yeah. she she always is, she's nothing if she's not you know treading water ferociously. Then she goes to Eric.
0: That scene is so amazing. I, I mean, I I love almost every high tension Harper is making a trade scene that they do in this show. I think they've realized that that is essentially, like, putting Kevin Durant on the left wing and letting or right wing and letting him uh, cook a little bit. But the difficulty in... I guess it's blocking, but blocking is typically, like, a a visual term. I mean, the idea that Harper is talking on a phone with Jesse, who is also on a phone, and DVD is surreptitiously listening to them, so you're getting these cutaways to him pretending to be like, what's going on? But in real life, he's, like, actually listening to her. Then you're getting these cuts to Rishi, who is being played by her and getting goaded into trying to extract a pound of flesh from Jesse. And meanwhile, Rob is just sort of innocently looking on in the background. And then right before all this, you have that Yaz comes over and is like, you know, (laughs) I know I'll only be like a floor away, but like, you know, it's... Well, I'd love to see you and she and what's Harper's line? It's not a very big building, you know. <laughs> like it's really good, like the way that she's just kind of like, "You need to get the fuck away from me" they, because I'm dealing with like 450 billion dollars here.
1: I don't want to not mention the Rob piece though because last week's episode, which I don't think I got a chance to talk you about didn't. you about with you, like I loved it. Such a great performance by Harry Lottie, but also such a great thoughtful treatment of a character who has his own self-destructive issues but is in awe, right, of the Hindenburg that is Harper in full flight. Like, just the cutaway to him with the emotional history we have with him. Like, he would never do this. He will wake up in a pile of his own sick in front of his father's (laughs) flat, but he won't do this. You know what I mean? And that, that moment of, like, him looking at someone that he has so much in common with and empathy for, but is also just... A gulf away from his own potential for behavior is it was it's just so artfully done. And that's the only that you only get that in a series as well constructed as this. But the bigger question behind all of this is how far are these guys willing to push it? So is this the end of PeerPoint? Like, will Eric and Harper hit the open market and settle in someplace else? Is the aperture going to get bigger where Yaz will be at PeerPoint, but Eric and Harper will be at a rival?
0: Bank but Gus somewhere. will be in conservative government and, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, do you what, sort of what is follow show these about? threads mm-hmm. all over the place or do you have to have this bank is, or th- this firm is what unites them,
1: right? I, I, I think what's interesting is it's a test case for just where we are with storytelling, not just in terms of the history of shows like Mad Men, which have continued to, you know, actively pushed against our conception of TV as a repetition machine, but I think they've learned that lesson that like Eric can't keep getting soft fired, right? Right. Like there's a trajectory. Well, also, here. presumably
0: Harper can only lose so much money in spectacular fashion before somebody's like, you know, maybe is, maybe maybe cut off this ch- lady's phone line.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. This this is enough. Which is also baked into these characters. Which is Yasmin doesn't need to be doing this, which makes her interesting and compelling. Uh-huh. Rob and Harper need to both emotionally and financially. I mean, they could potentially get other jobs, but in the in the scheme of things, they need to work.
0: Well, this so. I mean, this is why workplace dramas and workplace comedies are such a a never ending resource on a planet of which there are no never ending resources apparently. Apparently not. No. <laughs> but I was thinking about this sort of um, you know obviously there's been a lot of like uh, discourse about like the idea of returning to the office and what offices real like what purpose they serve and whether or not they're actually modes of control uh, and all these different ideas that you can agree with or disagree with. But in terms of what they act for as drama or the place that they, they, as like a setting for drama or a setting for comedy, there's just, it's just really amazing to see a situation where in almost every other walk of your life, you'd be able to separate yourself from people. It's only family and work where you're kind of forced to engage with If Harper and Yaz have a falling out, they're still 20 yards away from each other every single day. If Kenny and Yaz have this history, she still has him over her right shoulder almost every day. You know, the sort of hazing rituals, the hostility, the feelings of duplicity, like all that stuff that's in the air at at this place is so rich for storytelling. And it's believable because these people are getting really well compensated to come to work and endure this, you know? So I... I just watching the show, which has really thoughtfully engaged with does Harper even want to be in this building at all as like a return to the office kind of thing. I just thought it was kind of fascinating to consider like all the little storylines that come out because these people are forced to be together.
1: Well, and I think one of the things that the show should be commended for in its second season is allowing the waves of other ways of existing to lap at the shore of it. Yeah. Meaning um, specifically, Gus and Kenny, who both had tour de forces in this episode, the Gus trajectory is fascinating. They found a clever way to keep him tethered to this, this story, not just because of um, uh, sleeping with Jesse's son, but just being a roommate, which a flatmate. Sorry, but, but that's that's good enough. That's classic TV. Mm-hmm. But what if one of these characters had a soul? Like, what if someone actually engaged with people and, you know, in in his own journey of, like, whether I I can afford to do that, not financially, but in terms of my stature with my family or what I'm meant to be doing or whatever, was really fascinating. But there was a glimpse of a type of empathy or humanity that these other characters have willingly inoculated themselves (laughs) against. Yes. And then with Kenny, I mean, that was remarkable to— for what that character was in the first season to what he's been this season, which has mostly been a joke. Uh yeah. Or, a th- you know, in terms... Of, not, not that the, the show has actually in no way disrespected his sobriety journey, which I think I really appreciate, but just in terms of, like, how he is perceived by Yaz and, and his awkwardness at, at times. What was so wild about what he came to say to her was that after all of this, like, pranking and joking and, like, forced frivolity with people who aren't actually your friends, to your point... What he had to say to her wasn't what I expected, which was just a choking back tears apology. Yeah. And has anyone ever spoken to Yasmin like that in her entire life? Certainly not her family. Certainly not her friends. You know, I I can't imagine anything that would make her more uncomfortable than that. That was a wild thing.
0: Yeah, but it goes to, it sort of speaks to what you're saying. It's like, you know, when else would Yas be, if she doesn't want to talk to her father, she doesn't talk to her father. You know, if she doesn't want to talk to Harper, she doesn't talk to Harper. For like seemingly a year, she basically was out of out of Harper's life. But she has to like work this shit out with Kenny. Kenny like basically chases her down to the door to be like, I have to make amends with you in a sincere way, not in like a step way. It's really, really quite a scene. Um what
1: well, do you want also wanted- just just the last thing, just like if you compare that to to Celeste, who like in theory, like these people who are older mentors, right? who, and actually the, the arrangement with wife, like I, I don't mean to, 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 to lump in like whatever personal arrangements that seems respectful and fine. I'm not trying to judge that, but like the way that she lives her professional life in terms of like this night, I'm just going to be, you know, high altitude alp skiing with billionaire clients. Like that's just part of it. And sleeping with my underling, like this is all part of this world that we live in. Right. Everything looks normal to these people. I mean, it, it, and I love the way the show comes at you sideways with that. Like when we saw Rishi in the parking lot. And I was like, what the The other week? Like he's driving, was that like a Ferrari? Yeah. Or what, I don't know about cars. Or but Portugia, like, yeah. it's just like, excuse me? This is normal? This is what they're doing it for? You know, this is, or, or like walking to Yasmin's, you know, Pieta in Berlin. Like everything looks normal, when the universe, when the universe is abnormal, it's normal. Yeah. To you, have to live in it, and so these these little cross cuts of just like actually, this is what matters. Actually, this is how people ought to be communicating with each other. And again, it's still funny because it's Kenny. You know, I don't think that he's necessarily the paragon of human behavior, even at this more enlightened phase of his existence. But I, I, it's hard to remember any other moment of just uh, unadulterated emotion being expressed and being endured. And I, I'm curious what mark that leaves going forward.
0: Yeah. Well, we have two more episodes. Hopefully, we'll uh, be able to talk to Conrad, Conrad and Mickey one more time uh, after the finale. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow. Right. To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. You want to talk about Reservation Dogs really quick?
1: Yeah, while we're while we have our our rave settings on high, we should talk about the other I, show that's probably the best of the year.
0: I was a little bit behind, and then I caught up up to and through the episode that aired, I guess Wednesday. You know, sometimes I'm I'm almost like at a loss of wor- for words about this show. In the same way that I was sort of praising the way industry has handled, uh, will, will handle like a very micro moment specifically that that Harper trade. I just thought that the way that Sterling Harjo has kind of managed A-plot and B-plot, for lack of a better term, and I'm hoping maybe you can give me the the vocabulary that I need here, but like every episode feels like a short film or a, a world unto itself, a short story unto itself. But I can see where it's going in the novel of the lives of these mm-hmm. people even though if you ask me what season two of reservation dogs about it, I wouldn't be able to say it's about whether or not they leave to go to California and how they get over the death of their friend. It's not one thing that it's about. Like if, if you were pitching this season, yeah. I'd be very curious to know what he said the second season. It seems like the further adventures of these people. And yet every week you meet new people or find new parts of people that you've met, you know, already or <laughs> you have the most amazing like kind of emotional roller coaster. And I don't mean that in the like, Oh my God, like the thrills and the the chills that we experience, but just really confronting real life in like a, a head on way. And no more, I can't think of a better example of that other than the episode Mabel, which is about Alora's grandmother passing away, which is just one of the most gorgeous pieces of TV I've seen in, In in five years, I don't know. I I've I've no. It's kind of an arbitrary thing to say, but it's about as good as TV can get.
1: Yeah, this is the richest experience you can have on TV right now, and I think that if a lot of the shows that we've raved about this year, I mean, nothing on TV, especially in this era of consolidation and streaming, is safe. But like, the Bear was always going to get renewed. Barry was always coming back for season four. If we are your Harper listeners and your Jesse Bloom. Please trust us and spend some time and eyeball capital on Reservation Dogs. It is the biggest return on investment you could get. And it, speaking of things that are completely of this generation, what I mean, Sterling Harjo, who's the creator and he writes and directs and you know the spiritual force behind the show, and I, I think he'll come back on our on the podcast at the end of the season, which I'm looking forward to. In a way, what he's doing reminds me of something more from when we were coming up. Like, do you remember like David Kelly before he became the prestige bard of people on the Upper East Side murdering each other? Like, <laughs> or Montecito. he would just be like, <laughs> yeah. right, right, coastal, coastal murder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A bespoke murder. Wait, doesn't he murder. also do
0: Big Sky though?
1: Well, He created it, but he but our guy Elwood does it. Elwood yeah, Reyes, but like, I mean, he's, I'm
0: just saying he's like, it, it, whatever. His body he, count is high. Yes,
1: yes. The thing about him used to be like, He came up under Bochco and then he would be like Allie McBeal or Picket Fences or Boston, whatever. And he'd just be like, cracks knuckles. Here's some things I have to say 22 hours later. You know what I mean? Like he would just write the shit out of all of it because he had so much stuff percolating that he wanted to work on and characters and scenes and ideas. This show feels like that, even though it is not. And I think Sterling would say this, like he has incredible creative team with him. And 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 this week's episode, which was focused on cheese, came directly from the life experience of one of his writers, Bobby Wilson, who was in a, a boy's home between the ages of 16 and 18 and poured all of that into this episode. But what I mean in terms of just like, I don't know what the show is about either other than it is like taking your ox cord and plugging into the human experience for 30 minutes every week. But it's even better than that because it is absolutely not my experience. It is so specifically rooted in an experience that is literally miles and figuratively miles away from my own. But it gives me access to it in the most beautiful way, the way art is supposed to. I, this show is so almost effortlessly funny and character-driven and affecting and sad. You were talking about the Mabel episode, which was, I agree, like that's, that is a standout. And if you haven't watched the show, you could fire that up and be like, that's a great short film. I get it. I've never met these people. I don't know what fry bread is, but I get it. Mm-hmm. A week later, there's an episode about the moms and aunties going to a conference and eating edibles, you know. And it's a showcase for Sarah Podemski, who plays Bear's mom, who's fantastic. And I do need to claim her for my own tribe here. Apparently, half Jewish. Love to, you. Love to see it. <laughs> might be why. Might, might be why she didn't get a callback for the patient. Coming back to that. Um, it, it is so exciting. To have a show in our lives that could be anything any week. And also just this community of it, right? Like like Zon McLarendon, who's just, you know, one of our great TV actors now, is starring in Dark, was it Dark Winds, right? On uh based on the Tony Hillerman books. And I think both of us checked it out, and I love seeing him in the leading role. He's clearly because he's doing that, he's not available to be a star of the show. But you know, anytime Sterling picks up the bat phone, like he's there. He's there to play big, he's there to Play the part yeah. that is required in that episode, and so this week, like Mark Maron shows up, great performance by Mark Maron. Like it's just Maron Bobby doing, Lee was Maron doing
0: twelve steps with cheese is going to be like one of my favorite moments
1: of TV of the year. I, I, it's wild to me. It, it it really makes you think about. I mean, casting is hard, acting is hard, making anything is hard, but like.
0: What's Why are these whole thing guys? Where he's just like not all cops are child molesters, child mor- dibblers, Yeah, more morally dubious. Yes, but-,
1: <laughs> but like, but Chris, how are these guys able to go to Oklahoma and find amazing performers to play every single one of these roles up and down the line? You know, I, when people are like, "Oh, I couldn't find the right kid to play that part," or you know, th- whatever. Like, I, I don't want to say try harder, but look what these guys are doing. I know. Week to week, the kids in the group home with cheese, cheese himself. What? Why are these people capable of these performances? What is what alchemy is happening on the set of the show? It's so special. This is the one. You probably get Chris. You probably get this in your travels. People are like, "What should I be watching?" And you're like, "Oh boy." I just say Reservation Dogs.
0: It's just really great. I mean, it's just like I. It, the thing is, is that like I wouldn't. You don't have to qualify it with anything.
1: There are some yeah. things where you're just like, oh,
0: you might like this, but only if you're like okay with like tremendous amounts of sex, drugs, and techno, or that for industry, or you might like this, but this guy's gonna try and marry his his young baby child off. You know what I mean? Like, there's all Obi-Wan, sorts of like, you're speaking or of. you know, there are all these caveats. But like with reservation dogs, I have no caveats. I have no. There, I, I can't think of a single person who wouldn't like it if you if it it's funny, it's sad, it's real like I just can't think of any reason why you would hang any kind of like condition on watching this show
1: also last thing last bit of gigantic praise for the show you know there was a moment but it's been an ongoing moment for the last few years where where if if anyone ever bemoans the lack of a certain type of movie not a medium yeah like yeah, big, yeah. big movie not like the firm but I mean even Indie movies, you know, where it's like, oh, here's a little slice of life, or people talking, and just how hard it is to get these movies made. And everyone's like, oh, they went to TV. Those, those are on TV now. Well, they were for a minute, but if they don't have an elf or a murder, they're not really getting greenlit, you know. And 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 again, this kind of leans into what we're going to say about the patient. Like, there isn't really room for that stuff, even on TV, unless maybe you backdoor it with Taika Waititi attached make it reservation talks. Right. This is the heart and soul and this is the world Sterling Harjo comes from but this is the heart and soul of like independent cinema in the 90s. This is what we were saying best, when he best. was on. It was
0: like, this is more yeah. Linklater than it is anything else. You know what I mean? This is more just people hanging out and finding out who they are than any, than it, than it, it, it that's why I think the yeah. second season is amazing because there isn't like a will they or won't they. There isn't a, you know the clock is ticking will this happen in time you
1: know it's no it, it's just that oh jackie's hanging out with him now yeah
0: right. they tried to that go to california sense. and they didn't you know what i mean <laughs> the Linklater
1: thing is a great comp because Linklater's movies at their best like when everybody wants some came out a few years ago and you're just like basking in it for two hours you're like i wish i could live in this world it's so fully detailed and realized and oh my god these are are these the six best new actors of their generation having the time of their lives and then right. the movie ends and some of those actors go on to be Superman on The CW, which is a great gig, but I miss seeing them. This is, that's every week.
0: Let's talk a little bit about The Patient, because that's yes. also on, on FX on Hulu. Uh, for a show with Steve Carell and, and Donald Gleason, I think it's flying a little under the radar. I think Majorly. maybe maybe it's because... It, I, I think it, it's not that it's presenting itself as minor. I, when you weren't here, I, when I was talking... I think I was doing like an intro and I think I almost said that this would have been a good Quibby show, you know, like the way in which it's conceived is as a chamber piece, as a two-hander, it's slightly expanding. You do have flashbacks, but essentially is these conversations between a therapist and a murderer in a very confined space. And while there are flourishes, like what's Donald Gleason going to bring Steve Carell to eat tonight, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know uh, I love that. It's pretty, like, anonymous, you know? I think that the characters are are intentionally, like, almost, uh, not flat, but unadorned with uh, references to the outside world, kind of, in a lot of ways.
1: It, it, it's small bore in a way that I really respect. At first, I was just confused. Like, this is, there's a case to be made that Steve Carell is the biggest TV star of our time. Because The Office just continues to prove itself to be the most enduring and beloved show, maybe show full stop. Honestly, in terms of viewers of the last twenty years, people just they love it and they mm-hmm. love him. Uh, he's back on TV, guys. Like this is a leading role, and obviously it's the that's third
0: not... show he's been on. Is the, the, in the last like five years. It's morning show, Space, Space Force, and this.
1: And then also this feeling of like if you had Steve Carell on a show made by uh, Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields, great team that gave us one of the great shows also of the last few years, The Americans. Why are you just kind of dumping it before Labor Day? It just felt very confusing.
0: Well, everything about this show is slightly... It, it's like a chessboard with the the pawns in the back or something. It's just even if you were... Think about what you were going to do if this was an hour long drama and an 8 episode or 10 episode show. Yes. So you had to do like all... You, know, you were going to do that kind of like 8 hour story. I don't think you would get to the donal reveal of what's wrong until the end of the first episode, but that would be the end of the second episode or third episode in running time. You know, like... I
1: I, I cannot agree with you more. I think what I thought was a series of strange minor miscues, the bug is the feature. The genius of this show, and what I really want to celebrate about the show, is it's the best use of the format that I can remember in quite some time and we should have led with this, the episodes are 20 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Let me repeat that. The episodes are 20 minutes long. And what's thrilling about that isn't just the aforementioned 20 minutes long. <laughs> it's that you can at once be alive to, you're aware of it because you know stuff's going to happen. But also you part of my brain, and I imagine most contemporary TV viewers are going to have a similar reaction, I'm, being, I'm having that same thought that you're having of the alternate history where this was bulked up they, they started just spoon feeding the scripts creatine and suddenly they're 57 minutes and there's tertiary characters and the big reveals happen later. That's not what this is or what it should be. I love seeing something be put in the right box. So suddenly you're just laser focused on two world-class actors doing really, really high quality work. So maybe we buried it. The theme is Steve Carell is a therapist. He's seeing a patient who's not being very revealing. And then one day he gets, one night he gets kidnapped and he wakes up chained to a bed. And that patient, played by Donald Gleason is like, now we can talk honestly. It right. wasn't working. Uh, you are my prisoner because I am a serial killer. Right. And I want you to help me. Um, and I guess it's kind of a, I guess the logline then is it's like Mind Hunter meets in treatment. Sure. And I am I, kind of surprised how much I'm digging it because I am profoundly uninterested at this point in murder and serial killing i feel like i feel pretty well versed in it love therapy though love would you say about therapy.
0: you're more into murder mm-hmm. pa- power rank these three things for me really okay right. yeah murder
1: yep therapy yep elves wow well therapy's a lifelong number one Okay. I mean, that just—you that's just, that's just, know—it it, that's like RSTLN and E in Wheel of Fortune. Like it's just automatically on the board. Man, so you, murder or specifically being like serial killers, asking, "What's wrong with me? Why am I broken?" That well, I don't is know. Three. You're the
0: one who brought it up. I, I can't get enough murder. You know, well, in, all, in storytelling,
1: like, I made a show that started with a murder. Like I, I, I get that as a, as a conceit. But serial killers being like, mm, I live in the shadows. Like, I don't care about you guys anymore. I feel like you are overrepresented on television. If Rosario Dawson yeah.
0: had been played by Orlando Bloom and right. it was the further adventures of Legolas detective yeah. therapist,
1: I wait. do you think that he this-
0: would be on like season four of Patch right now?
1: Oh, without question, we would be simulcast on all of the NBC Universal If, you, were, if you had made an
0: elf detective show, you would have been fucking printing money, man. You could have what left if? this podcast behind.
1: But do you know what I wouldn't have innovated on? And this is what, what Rings of Power does that I really respect. It's that when you meet a blonde stranger, get real close and just brush their hair back over their ears and then be like, I fucking knew it. You know what I mean? Oh, that yeah. scene. Yeah. So what if what if Legolas is like a like a like a real tough edged, pretty blonde but tough edged <laughs> cop? You know what I mean? And he has a service bow, strapped to his strapped to his waist, but just like in in the seedy Middle Earth Texas town, people just come real close and all. We're always touching his like the side of his hair
0: and just be like, oh, <laughs> your ear check. Yeah, you one of those um, elf cops.
1: Okay, you're making a strong case for me. But I think that it's, so I guess it's an execution, no pun intended. Like, I I would watch that show. Yeah. The show that we do have, The Patient, does seem legitimately interested in how therapy works and how people talk to each other, which I love. My, we were joking about it earlier, so I have to, to bring it home. Like, I know why Steve Carell is in this show. Steve Carell is a great actor who deserves all the opportunities he is given. I love that he always wants to challenge himself. I think he's very good with stillness in this. I really am enjoying his performance. But he's not Alan Strauss. You know what I mean? Like, I understand they probably went this out to a, all the Alan Strausses. I'm sorry. It's, it's a little bit like so. Catherine so, Hahn gets give, bounced from playing Joan Rivers.
0: But give me a give me an Alan Strauss
1: alt then. Judd Hirsch. Bang. Bang. Who doesn't watch that show? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not here. I'm, I, I'm not gonna make the argument because I understand. That when Steve Carell answers your phone call, you say yes. Yeah. But in an era where representation matters, I'm just, I'm doing the, I'm doing the monocle emoji. You know what I mean? That's I all. know what you mean. I'm just doing the monocle <laughs> Somehow emoji. Somehow you
0: knew that Bear's mom was Jewish, so you obviously yeah. are.
1: I got an alert. All of us in the, in the in our tribe got an alert. I'm just saying, when Steve Carell in the early episode of The Patient walks into the pawn shop that's run by, like, the Hasidic Jews that his son is now a part of, and they're like, Oi, here comes Alan. I was just like, yeah, because the guy's walking into the pawn shop. <laughs> his son switched sides. And I'm like, well, clearly he was married to a cantor and Jew- Judaism is matriarchal. So I get it. And it's even weirder that he's not there. But then later, Donald Gleason is like, I saw many Jewish therapists. And I was like, did you run out of them? Is that what happened? I feel like that's a robust category, is yeah. all I'm saying. Um I'm not mad at it. I, I am truly I'm enjoying the it's show cool. in the best I just way like, that I, I did like how they're like
0: it. this is they I think that they are subtly doing some stuff that I wonder if it even for 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 these guys it was based a little bit on their experience of doing the Americans for so long and, and not stretching it out by any means but having like that experience writing that specific kind of show and then coming to this show and being like you know what it's not going to take three episodes to find out who that is walking upstairs yeah. it's his mom and she's coming I, to therapy too
1: but I think it's more than that I think it's also very very smart maybe these guys have been to therapy too self knowledge and self awareness of what they're good at and what they're interested in you know, And I think that choosing this format strips it down. They don't have to do the kind of curly cues and show-offy stuff and set pieces that really are necessary for a 55-minute new show to break through or get attention or get audiences. It's stripped down to what they do best. And in so doing, they've created something that is worthy of conversation, which I'm really impressed by. Like, just feel, listeners, search your feelings. The one podcast we didn't talk about Star Wars. And and just ask yourself, like, if I told you there was a show about a therapist in session with a serial killer and I told you that it was a new show to start watching now, feel the resistance within you. Yeah. Feel the fear and hate and suffering. And then when I tell you it's 20 minutes long, you feel that weight lift? Like the X-Wing fighter out of the swamp in Dagobah? Do you feel that? I do.
0: Um. I want to let you cook for a second and talk a little bit about Paper Girls. Uh, I'll be completely honest. I watched the first episode of this show, which is only half an hour, right? Oh, no. What, Some of them are the shorter.
1: The, the, the pilot is only like 36 minutes, but other episodes stretch.
0: It's about half. It's a 35 minutes. It felt that, much, the, much, be, yeah. much longer to me. And I it completely lost me, not only in terms of like the uh, machinations of like the, some of the sci-fi elements that the show is about, but just there was something about I mean it's been quite a while because I watched that first episode ages ago. It feels like there was something about it that just didn't click with me. I guess I could just say it. I, I so yeah. why don't you tell me? Because you watched the entire season. Hi, hi, tell me about what I, I missed.
1: So this is an interesting one to me because the comic book, Paper Girls. Which
0: is and this is a show, it's on Amazon. The entire season yes. is up.
1: Right. The entire season is up now. The comic book is finished publication. It's by the great Brian K. Vaughn, who we've talked about. And I think Brian came on the pod once to talk about Runaways with Josh and Stephanie. I, he's, he's a really good guy. He uh, created Runaways. He created Saga. Created Why the Last Man. Celebrated as one of the great comic book writers of our time. He made this with the great artist, Cliff Chang. And it is really joyful, self-contained story about four Paper Girls, they deliver newspapers in the Cleveland suburbs in the 80s. And then they get swept up into a uh, generation-spanning time war. And there are giant robot kaiju and dinosaurs and uh, laser guns and all sorts of things. But it's also a very tender and well-observed coming-of-age story for these four young women. And very high-profile project, obviously going into other medium. Um, Brad Pitt's company, Plan B, developed it. Um, brought it to Amazon. The Chris's, Chris Rogers and Chris Cantwell, who made Halt and Catch Fire, are executive producers of the series, not showrunners. And it came and it kind of came out. Mm -hmm. And it slipped under our radar. You checked it out. I didn't quite get to it. And this is a tough recommend because it is not to everyone's taste. It is not entirely successful. I feel like it's okay to say that. It's one of those things that I'm really happy exists. And I really encourage people to watch because its heart is so much in the right place. It executes certain things so well. The four young women cast in the show are exceptional. That's so hard to do. The show really smartly understands that what is going to make this a success or failure is the relationship between them and the emotional stakes of being a young person and unsure of yourself and then learning about who you're going to be not on the traditional ways of going through life but literally seeing future versions of yourself mm-hmm. um, one character's future version is played by Ali Wong in a really surprising and great dramatic turn um, I, the show gets so close and I'm with you on the pilot because I think the pilot is the worst episode of them it looks beautiful I gotta shout out my guy Zach Galler who was the DP on Breyer Patch, shot it as well so I'm obviously predisposed to like it but I think he did a great job the show often seems confused as to what it wants to be because the thing about Brian Vaughn's comics is like other people I've talked about on the pod, like Grant Morrison, like Brian Vaughn writes comics because he loves comics and he knows that in comics you can put a giant time traveling robot next to a dinosaur and be like, give it to me, give me more. But on TV, that's a little bit of a harder sell. And so you feel the pilot being like, how are we going to convince people used to a certain type of entertainment that these four girls are also going to be the stars of stranger things, but, also, um, lasers. Right, like it's it's a lot, and it's a lot to get you there, and it calms down pretty smartly after that, and figures itself out around three or four.
0: I think that that was and, sort of the the thing that was tripping me up was was when it got like I wouldn't even say hard sci-fi, but when it was like there's a war in the future, and like there was like an element of it where I was just like, oh, what yeah. the what the hell is happening?
1: I don't blame you for that, and I think the show itself doesn't ever fully make peace with that, including to the end because I was I was watching it through. It was getting better and better and better. Friend of the pod, our beloved Jason Manzuka shows up as one of the big bads, which is just really cool and a great choice. And I was like, I'm really excited though because I think it's figured itself out and it's going to end in a really kind and respectful way. And the season ends, I should warn people, with just a hard pivot to a future season. And there's enough story in the comics for that. But I don't know if the response and the ratings have been robust enough to give it the second season it deserves. And my main feeling about that is just disappointment because I'm just going to say yeah. their names. Cameron Jones, uh, Riley Lyell-Nellett, Sophia Rosinski, Fina Straza. these young actors are so good. They're amazing. And it made me sad that they're not going to get to play these parts again. And I, I just thought it was an interesting test case, especially the same week that we're talking about House of the Dragon and we're talking about Rings of Power, of a show that, to me, was more emotionally successful than Stranger Things. I'm not saying it's a more successful show. It is clearly not in terms of eyeballs or finances or return on investment. Or entertainment value, even I, you know they're they're not trying to do the same things. Even though whenever you talk about kids in the '80s riding bikes, you're kind of in the same. Can you define universe. what you mean
0: by emotionally successful? I mean, just because I have watched Stranger Things and I I I think that the, it has its high watermarks and its low watermarks. but
1: yeah, I didn't mean to ding it. I just no, no, no. I was like, just curious what the, like obviously
0: you mean it for you, but what do you mean by emotionally successful?
1: I just mean that the show, these four young women. Begin in very different places, like one care, and you know, and, and kind of cookie cutter places. Like the, there's the child of immigrants who's struggling to fit in. There's the girl who comes from a very hard scrabble and violent household who carries that resentment forward and unleashes it on people. There's um, the person, there's the young woman who comes from a family like Dr. Alan Strauss, if I may be broad, uh, <laughs> who is struggling with her own identity and anger and sexuality. Um, there's the young black woman who is brilliant and, and not really recognized for it. And then it puts them, and they don't, they're not really friends. They're coworkers. They deliver newspapers That's together. That's right. It's a and workplace it drama. Yeah. In an incredibly high stakes, absurd situation. And then just leaves them there so that when they collide and, you know, conflict is what fuels all these shows, whether it's a time war or not, it just feels really emotionally honest and true to a 12, 13-year-old experience Mm-hmm. And I really liked the reactions of twelve-year-old girls to their adult selves who disappoint them. <laughs> you know, I just thought it was really it, it just really stayed focused on that. I just keep wanting to say it's hardest in the right place. And I, I just feel like it's worth celebrating at a time when look, and 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 we have many episodes left and seasons left to debate the relative success creatively of House of the Dragon. It's absolutely without question successful from a network perspective. But there's a feeling to me of it that it, they, it's successful because they, it's safe. You know, it, it's safe in the sense that they're like, these are the people who know how to do Thrones. George Martin is back in there. And so they're getting all the little things right. Like George Martin being like, finally, you know, medieval hunting is being represented the way I intended it to be represented. Right. And it's just like, George, Game of Thrones is the most popular show of the century. Nobody was mad about the hunting scene <laughs> in season one. Like, that's not the problem But it's his there.
0: attention to detail that people
1: respond to. I guess, but it was also Benioff and Weiss being he's, like, here human He's the one the who's hunts. like,
0: it's important. Like, what's his whole thing? It's like, when I read Tolkien, I want to know what Aragorn's tax collection strategy is, right? That was his pitch. It's <laughs> okay. like, what he
1: wanted, it's do you And it's like... Do you think he understands shorting? Does he understand <laughs> finance? Uh, I, we I, should I pitch agree. Mickey and
0: Conrad on the elvish version of, of industry. But...
1: But but it but it is, it, you're absolutely right that it's which detail are you more focused on. And I think that for contemporary viewers, and I probably, I don't know anything about the backstory, what went on behind the scenes, but contemporary network executives, there was probably friction within Paper Girls where people were like, but wait, what who who is this, the old watch and the time variant? I mean, it's basically the plot of Loki. Yeah. In the sense that there are people like, we have to fix the timeline. And there are people being like, fuck it, we should make things better for people. Okay. And I really appreciated when Paper Girls was just like, that'll work itself out. What makes successful entertainment and what made the comic book good is you could be like, yeah, there's a dinosaur eating a guy, but one of these girls might like another girl. And what's that like for her? And right. that's the detail we're focused on. And I, I may be in some ways overrating the show because it stumbled, but that's where it was headed. And I just, I, it's a bummer that it, it's a bummer to me when work with good intention and a lot of good execution just doesn't quite come together, and thus, with this steamroller of a culture we live in, is just. But forgotten. it's interesting. Like, I to haven't seen anyone it. talk about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, think that. I mean, I wonder how many people were like the first episode, which just wasn't wasn't right for me.
1: The first uh, episode is was a struggle for me too. And well, then, I'll touch. I'll, I'll get
0: up. back into it when I can pull myself out of the luxurious world of uh, Irish interior design of Bad Sisters. I will. I will try to detach from that and check it out.
1: What if all of these shows just became one singularity show for us? I'm pretty into like <laughs> Irish elves, tax collecting, but also murdering in therapy.
0: Um. So we'll be back what Sunday night?
1: Uh, were you asking me?
0: I mean, you I'm got, just. Am so I set the calendar? I'm, I'm just taking the temperature. Sunday night, we'll be back with our House of the Dragon chat, and maybe we'll do a little bit of a more in depth uh, Lord of the Rings stuff off that. And uh, we were. Produced, I'm like, into
1: Sunday nights being fantasy we, we, we can cover this stuff we can get okay. into
0: it yeah hard sci hard fantasy high fantasy that, sundays that
1: with, with two 45 <laughs> we year old get men K-
0: carrie underwood to sing our theme song <laughs> <laughs> all the elves are here for sunday night <laughs> this, it's great stuff we were produced by kaya McMullen. we'll see you guys on sunday night